You awake? Yeah. I just want you to know I hate you. So is my dad. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God! Why don't you tell me a story? How do you sleep at night? I don't want to hang out with a bunch of wannabe corporate sellouts. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a podcast that exists to put to bed some of those uh, stories and innuendos and rumors that you've heard about rock and roll for a long time and you're just not sure if they're true or not. My name is Brian. I'm Murdoch and take us to bed. Take us to bed, Brian. I, I want to go. I didn't mean to use bed so many times with that phrase. Um, this is not a sexy show. Uh, people are very confused. They're like, wait, so we get to listen to rock and roll in our, in our pajamas? Um, okay. It, so, and then David Lee Roth deflowered the pizza. <laughs> All right, go ahead. So I, I actually, it's funny that you bring up David Lee Roth. I, I thought one thing that we should do before we get into a, a, a particular rock and roll bedtime story today is to uh, take a look at the mailbag. Um, you know, we, we have been doing this for a little over a year and we get quite a few uh, correspondences and letters and comments on things. Um, and so I, I figure there's a few things that we need um, to address about past episodes uh, from, from listeners across the country. So um, if you're ready for that. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. Let, let's do the mailbag. It's been a while. So since since you started with uh, with EVH, um, I, I'm going to say I'm going to start with this one, which is not the most positive feedback we've had. This comes from Doug. Uh, Doug says, uh, I listened to the first couple minutes of your Eddie Van Halen episode until you got the story wrong. DLR quit at the height of the band's career. <laughs> And so I anticipated when we had to mention the switch between DLR and Hager, uh, Hagar, sorry, that someone was going to get mad. But there's just no way to say either of those names out loud without inflaming passions when you're among the fan base, right? Um, yeah. So I, so I want you, I want you to set the course for Rock and Roll Bedtime Story's official record. When was the height of Van Halen? According to Mark, eighty-four. Easy. So, so DLR left. Right. I mean, he was part of the hype. Yeah. I mean, that that record that came out that year was that was it. That was the cornerstone of changing them into a, you know, from everything to to having a hit with synthesizers on it. So that song so was I, that song. The, the, the thing too, the thing too, Brian, is that that song permeated MTV radio jukeboxes, swimming pool jukeboxes waffle house like it was everywhere you know it's it's it, it it was like a it was a very invasive song that made that band even popular and yeah it's 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 right but and too if you want to see some crazy unfortunate stuff is there's there are some interviews like here and there like on youtube where you can watch david lee roth after um all of this went down that like there was some bad blood and 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 they did say some negative things about each other. And it was, you know, that's what I guess made it into interesting rock and roll stories, right? Well, I don't understand how we misspoke. I mean, I, 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 I may need to go back and examine the record because I don't remember saying that David Lee Roth wasn't part of the hype of the band. But I do remember there being some note made to the fact that they were still pretty successful with Sammy Hagar. So I, yeah. like, I, somehow we made Doug uncomfortable. Uh- yeah, and and listen, Doug. I'll say this first. Given, I'll say this, man. I've been drunk since March. Two, they were a huge band. But if you do look at 
that if you look at the charts, they had more hits with Hagar than they did with Roth. I'm not saying they're a better band. I thought they turned into like sleepy, like like sleepy album oriented rock garbage, honestly, to be quite I mean, like I can't listen to that (laughs) (laughs) terrible stuff with all the pianos. Like (laughs) Okay, listen. And now and now for another graduation video. It's class of nineteen ninety eight. Right now. Like that's why I can't listen to that crap, man. I want to hear Eddie I just want to hear Eddie like careening over Steve Martin singing about girls. That's it. So right, sorry, Doug. Doug. Doug, we're we're sorry we upset you. I think we're in agreement. We just get the something about the vernacular and the way we explain that rubbed you the wrong way. We apologize. That's the thing, man. People who like these stories and people that want to talk about classic rock, you know, they they get they get emotional, and I understand that. It's that's we appreciate that. Um, that's like Steve. Steve is from Schaumburg, Illinois. Have you ever been there? No, I've never no. been to Schaumburg. I know. Uh, he wrote us a note just to say you guys sound like a couple of idiots that don't know what you're talking about. Cool. So this Thank is our mailbag. You. Awesome. All right. <laughs> um, Hank Jubilee, while we're still on the uh, the Eddie Van Halen episode, he's from Sacramento, and he wrote that uh, the reason why they didn't allow brown M&Ms, because this is the rumor that we, we dealt with yeah. in that episode, right? It's like, what was the story about Van Halen not allowing brown M&Ms in the dressing room? Right. He said, I mean, and I, I assume he means this a bit as a joke. He says, the reason they didn't allow brown M&Ms is that Eddie already had an abundance of the brown sound and the brown M&Ms would have made it too much brown. Wow. <laughs> do you, so do you know this whole thing about the brown sound? Yeah. 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 Sure. It's not really something we talked about, but he makes an interesting point, right? Talking about a brown M&Ms. And then of course that one of the, the kind of the guitar tone that Eddie Van Halen became famous for is often referred to in certain circles as the brown sound. Now, here's the funny thing. When I first saw this note, I thought he might be referencing the brown note. Do you know what the brown note is as opposed to the brown sound? No, no. I don't know what that is. So the brown note, and this is a real thing, is the mythological note that you could hit with a musical instrument that would make you evacuate your bowels. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, okay. All right, I got it. All right. So it's it's it, it's been used kind of like that was sort of the joke with Eddie Van Halen. So I guess maybe that's that's where that came from. Like so, the so brown noise. They, they are they are together. The brown note and the brown sound do go together. Okay, I got it. So I mean, I didn't know that, but you're that's what you're saying. You're saying that they do go together. Well, yeah, because I used to hear that joke. So I guess the vernacular is kind of like mixed up or whatever. Or have we all been shitting in our pants every time we've listened to Eddie Van Halen play guitar? Is that what's really been happening? And just we haven't really talked about it. One of those things you don't want to talk about. Okay, I'll tell you an honest story. Speaking of things you don't want to talk about. I saw Ben Folds the first time I saw Ben Folds play. It was on his solo tour right kind of right after the five had gone away and he was doing stuff and he had put out that record song for Silverman songs for Silverman. So it was like 2006. And he, at some point was goofing around with the audience and he was playing some sort of synthesizer. And he was saying that he was going to hit that note and he was being so serious about it. And so insistent about it that at one point I actually started to get nervous that I was going <laughs> to wow. looking around for a plan in case it happened because he sold it so hard. So yeah, it, it could be embarrassing if you're rocking out to your favorite band and, um, and that happens. So I do understand, but I appreciate Hank from Sacramento writing in to uh, remind us of the Brown sound. There, I know. Are, there are actually a lot of articles and videos about the Brown sound. If you really want to get into it, it's there, there's a lot out there. 
I don't understand why there isn't some um, evil large country with a large military or whatever that doesn't just go ahead and do that. It's a form of artillery. We just brought our we brought our synthesizer and a large speaker. Um, so do you know why it, people think it's called the brown sound or why that kind of it actually doesn't have to do with evacuating your bowels? I should bring this up. So uh, some of the things that I looked at because I was like, why do they call it that? Said that what he was trying to do specifically was mimic with his guitar the warmth of Alex's snare drum. Mm. And he yeah, kept it's the warm playing, sound. Yeah, he kept saying that when Alex hit that, it sounded like he was banging on a log. And so people started calling it the brown sound, like a brown log. Huh. That's, never, that's more rock and roll bedtime story version of that. But uh, it makes sense to me. I just always thought it was sort of the obtuse, um, you know, warm sound. That's it. But Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely about the warmth. Um, okay, so one of the most, uh, the episodes we got the most mail about, and this does not surprise me, is the episode about Skinner, Leonard Skinner versus the Great Big Sky, which uh, of course is about the Leonard Skinner plane crash, which is something that when you're a rock fan you hear a lot about. Um, and so we dove into that, and um, we we have people, and I knew this would happen, that want to fill in details or tell their own versions of the story. And so I pulled a couple that are really good. Sure. Um, so William from Dallas. <laughs> He just wrote in to say, I know the owners of the then Falcon Airlines and the pilots and all the people on board had a Coke problem. (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate you, buddy. Uh, Patrick wrote in to say, I was there. I was there seen it with my own eyes. I was about 10 years old and was out hunting boar when I heard what sounded like a car badly needing a tune up. Anyway, the next thing I know, I see a plane busting the treetops and smashing into the woods and I ran like hell. So Patrick says he was there, which is pretty amazing if that's true. Thank you, Patrick, for uh, for checking out the show and giving us the... I mean, and he didn't say that we got a bunch of stuff wrong. So, I mean, if he was there, I feel good about that. The best yeah. one, the best one came from James. This is This story is unbelievable. So James claims, I won't read this whole thing, but I'll kind of paraphrase it. He says that he was riding around that area of the country, going to see his brother, a few years ago and he stopped at a, at, for gas at a place called Jean's grocery. Now I have not looked up to see if Jean's grocery exists. And he says a dude with a black Chevy and a big three in the back window slid into the pump next to me. And he jumps out and he puts up three fingers. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, and uh, he said, they started talking for a minute. And one of them said kind of in small talk as they're pumping gas, like, I guess he says, Hey, isn't this kind of where the Skinner plane crash happened? And, um, he said, I, I thought it, it was up the road somewhere. And this guy says, oh, dude, do you want me to show you where it happened? Because I was there that night. And so James says he was like, yeah, sure, buddy. Sure you were. But he said he like didn't really have any reason not to like. like <laughs> I'm curious. I, I knew what he was talking about. Yeah. So they get in their cars and the guy like, and he says in this letter, James says that the guy goes like, Okay, you're going to have to move really quick because I drive fast, which is a funny detail. Um, and so he's like, he totally did. We drive out to the middle of the woods and um, we turn off on P.P. Wilson Road at this cattle gap. And this dude jumps out with a beer and asks me if I want one. And then he starts to tell me his story. And he says, I'm David L. Williams and I own a pest control business. 
And he says, you can look this up on Facebook because I have. And back then, uh, me and my dad were part of a local civil air patrol. So when it happened, we were part of the first response. Oh. He then told me that he and his dad helped bring people out to the ambulances. And now remember, this was part of the story that we told was that there were people on the ground locally yeah. in that town yeah. that had to like, go and bring people out to the site. Yeah. So they And then they had to take people to the hospital in Macomb. On gurneys, which is insane. I remember he he told me he ruined a new pair of penny loafers that night and a ton of other stuff. I just couldn't believe that I happened to run into this guy while I was riding through and just would, you know, within a couple miles of the site. And the guy said, I know you don't believe me, do you? And James was like, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. And he said, OK, go home and look for the VH1 special on what happened on YouTube. So James says he goes home and he finds this VH1 behind the music on Leonard Skinner in the plane crash. And he's like, dude. The guy is on there and he's, he's like, he, it. he had more hair, but it was definitely him. And he was interviewed in this documentary. Oh, that's great. Okay. So I've got to watch that now to, to see that too. That's the thing is, is that it's, there's something that's been about that plane crash. That's so personal to people. Yeah. And then there's these, these personal experiences that even though they, there can't be that many of them, they seem like there's many because the personal experiences seem to be so powerful. Um, and people had a real connection with that band, even though like, I, I, I guess like it hasn't aged well in terms of like people thinking that being like a Southern rock redneck band or whatever. But the, the reality of it is beyond that is that people really had an attachment to that music. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you think it was like they felt heard on a national level? Like, you know, just that there hadn't been a whole lot of bands that were coming out that were from proudly proclaiming to be from such a deep part of the South. Yeah. I mean, they were getting to play like the Fillmore West and stuff like they were playing. They were playing the same venues that the, you know, Jefferson Airplane, the Grateful Dead were playing and they were playing festivals. So, yeah. Hey, thanks for all the, the mail. Even you guys that, that think we suck, I appreciate you spending that extra time of your day thinking just a little bit more about Brian and I before you go to bed when you're all alone. I appreciate you, that we suck so bad that you would you would go out of your way to write that in a letter. Because there's a lot of people I think it suck that I've never sent them a letter to let them know. So, I mean, that, that's some true dedication. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if, if you want to tell us we suck or, or tell us about a, your opinion on a story we've told or fill in some details or tell us about the time you ran into a guy or, in gas or tell us that you like us. Uh, you led this whole thing wrong, Brian. If there's an, an email you want to send and tell us that you like us, Brian, where do the email us at? Uh, we are the story guys at gmail.com. We are the story guys at gmail.com. And if you like the show, please like leave a review, leave a positive review on iTunes because most of the people on iTunes are just – They've got an extra. That's all right. So let's talk about a story today, a rock and roll bedtime story. That is a rumor that I just, maybe we should start. You know what? I won't, I won't say whether it's true or false, but it's a crazy rock and roll story. Do you know the story, the supposed story of why Phil Collins wrote in the air tonight? Not officially, no. I've I heard it's about a car accident. Okay, so this is so fun. Because this is one of those things where it has floated all over since before the advent of the internet was mainstream on different versions of what that song is and what it's about. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Phil Collins for a moment. Because And, and I, I will tell you that I already know we're going to get letters 
from one of our listeners, Leif, who is a giant Phil Collins fan. And I know has read the Phil Collins biography. And so he probably has a lot to fill in about this. But uh, <laughs> fill in. Uh, uh. You like that? And if we can, and if we can talk about Phil, what is going on with Phil Collins now, at some point, let's do yeah. that so we can inform people. Because, good golly, great golly, gush molly, whatever, man, there's some weird stuff going on with Phil Collins right now. So, I mean, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time in his history, but I think one thing that we do need to do is to acknowledge what a massive star Phil Collins was in the early '80s. Like, yeah. massive star, and there is a fantastic podcast you should listen to after you listen to all of the rock and roll bedtime stories um called hit parade that um is a, a guy who really digs through like the radio charting of songs and of bands and he did an episode probably a year a year and a half ago about genesis and phil collins and what is so crazy that i don't think a lot of people remember unless they're real historians or students of, of rock and roll is that Genesis, the band, birthed the Peter Gabriel solo career and the Phil Collins solo career and the Mike Rutherford, Mike and the Mechanics career. Yeah. And they were all putting out music at the same time. So one thing he talks about in this podcast is that there was like a period of time where in the, in the first couple years of the 80s, where like all three of those acts were or all really four, Mike and the Mechanics, Genesis, Peter Gabriel, Phil Collins were all on the charts at the same time. Yeah which is a radio programmer's nightmare. And I know because I came of age in radio around the, the rise of Usher. <laughs> there was a period where literally Usher because of guest spots on songs was on like every one yeah. of the, the top five songs that you were spinning like the most in a week. And it became a nightmare because there's all kinds of rules in radio about how often you can play an artist. Right. And so, when you're on all of the hit songs and those are the hit songs you're supposed to play the most, it becomes very challenging to play them the right amount of times. Yep. So what's your personal relationship with Phil Collins? So, um, I grew up in the eighties. So I heard every one of those hits and I listened to, uh, the Casey Kasem top 40 countdown like every week. So because we were both radio guys, you know how that was. So I heard every one of those songs, um, even like the real slow ones, like One More Night or like Take Me Home. But like Easy Lover with like Philip Bailey was like super fun. Um, and he had lots of songs and soundtracks. So there was no real escaping Phil Collins. And because of my age, too, um, I liked Phil Collins appropriately more than I like Genesis um, and didn't like Genesis when they got back together. Cause I thought that Phil Collins solo stuff was, was great. And that South park hit on him was pretty rough. Anyway, let's, <laughs> let's not get ahead of ourselves. Go ahead. So he had seven us number one singles behind only Michael Jackson. He sold more than a hundred million solo albums and about the same number with Genesis. And he fronted Genesis after Peter Gabriel left in 75, which is so crazy because he was the drummer. So he's the drummer. They're looking for a singer. And then they decide like, I think he even like maybe filled in just for like a recording session or something. Like there was something that where like all of a sudden they had to go to him and be like, no, Phil, really you should sing. Um, I, I mean, it's just crazy. There's like not a lot of bands that have a story like this about this level of success. And I don't think that it's held up. I don't think people realize it. I think it's much, you know, there's like people understand 
even like my kids, you know, would understand that U2 was a massive rock band. And, yeah. you know, but yeah. I don't know that people understand Phil Collins and the magnitude of success that he had still, yeah. like just randomly. Right. Because like the, the big for, for Genesis, like the big with, with Phil Collins, like the big real turning point for them was 81 with Abacab and like album oriented yeah. rock radios. They were playing like that song, but it was the self-titled record. There was an 83 that had that's all and had mama on it. There were big, huge MTV hits. And of course, then there were big radio hits that, that really put Genesis like on the radio, couldn't get away from them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hey, well, and so I don't know if part of it's the nineties. So my personal relationship with Phil Collins is I came to Phil Collins backwards by hearing the both sides record. <laughs> oh, I see. Yes. <laughs> and, and I liked it, but I also understood. I remember as being nine or 10 and understanding that this guy wasn't as cool as the other stuff his record was played next to, because I mean, that was getting play on top 40 radio in the early nineties. And it was a song that seemed, I mean, this sounds silly, but it had a Judeo Christian kind of feel to it. Yeah. It felt like I could get away with playing it in my house, which is something we talked about a lot. Right. And so I remember seeing that record around and wanting that record just because I knew it was something that, that pushed me over the line into you know, the, the rock and roll spectrum, but was safe enough that I wasn't going to get in trouble for having it. So I can't remember if I ever owned it or not it, but I just, I, I distinctly remember watching the video because it's like people fighting or whatever, you know, like a yeah. family fighting. And he's like, you always need to hear both sides of the story. <laughs> yeah. It's so silly. And, and then backwards, I learned more about his effect. And then of course, when I got into radio and I was playing libraries of Phil Collins records, I mean, you know, one of my first main gigs was working in a, in a library format um, where we were playing, you know, probably nine Phil Collins songs in regular rotation and another five Genesis songs. So it, you know, I really grew an appreciation for him and I still think about, you know, my early career in radio at that radio station when I hear his songs, because we just played them all the time. And that's where you start to pick up like, Oh yeah, this dude, had a outsized effect, but you know, he had some real PR issues in the nineties, right? Like there was a whole political thing where he was like swinging a little right wing in Britain about taxes and stuff. Yes. There was like some philandering and some, the way he treated his wife. There's like a rumor that we may get to, which is not the point of this episode, but about him breaking, divorcing his second wife by fax. Yes. Um, Yeah. So, you know, that story I do. Yeah. And then, uh, for un- younger musicians like Noel Gallagher, like Oasis, they, I mean, they just kind of referred to him as like Satan. Like they just really didn't like him. He was a symbol of, yeah. of 80s excess, right? Right. Yeah. People really did not like, there was this before South Park went after Phil Collins, Phil Collins was not liked. Like you, you knew that, but like as a person that was a fan or whatever, like you heard that, but that was kind of well known in, in the music circles. Um, I think he's kind of a prickly person too. So, yeah, yeah. You know, he, there are a lot of things about him that, um, have not held up to great scrutiny. Um, but in one of them is, is the story we're going to get into. So face value is the record that is his first solo record and is just huge, right? It just really breaks him as a solo artist at the same time that he's had all the success with, uh, Genesis. And it features a song that is probably arguably still the song for people when you think Phil Collins and that is 
in the air tonight. And I yeah. know you want to do it. Go ahead and do it right now. I would like to hear um, Voldemort from Harry Potter do it. <laughs> Can we make that happen? Does that exist on YouTube? If it does not, <laughs> I don't know. I even know. Like I just sort of make fun of and fumble through Voldemort yelling at people. Anyway, so go ahead. Let's let's look a little bit at the lyrics to that song because it comes into play very heavily with why this rumor starts in rock and roll and among fandom about what this song is about. Right. Okay. But, so I don't know if you, I mean, obviously you know the hook, right? That's, that's really what everybody knows, but let me read you some of the lyrics. I mean, we know the, I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Oh Lord. Right. That's what everybody knows. But can you feel it coming in the air tonight? Oh Lord. Oh Lord. Well, if you told me you were drowning, I would not lend a hand. I've seen yeah. before, my friend, but I don't know if you know who I am. Well, I was there and I saw what you did. I saw it with my own two eyes. So you can wipe off that grin. I know where you've been. It's all been a pack of lies. I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Okay, so I've like never thought about those words or realized that was the first verse. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you tell me you were drowning, I wasn't going to help you is some pretty brutal stuff to say. So, yeah. but then... He knows who the person is drowning, but the person's drowning doesn't know who he is. So there's right? so many there's so many versions of what this is really about, right? So people took this pretty literally. And yeah. to this day, there are rumors that what this song is about is basically that Phil Collins is and I'm gonna tell the the most general version of it, and then we'll then I'll just read you a bunch of like actual things people have said on message boards and stuff about what this is about. Right. Basically that he saw someone, he was far away and he, he could see the shore and he saw somebody standing on the shore and somebody drowning. And the guy on the standing on the shore, totally ignoring the calls for help and letting the person drown. So that's part one. Part two is that Phil Collins knew who that person was or somehow figured out who that person was that let the other person drown. And so then he anonymously sent him concert tickets and had him come to his show and sit in the front row. And then he shined a spotlight on him and he sang something in the air tonight and then had what? the cops come and arrest the guy. No, this is legitimately oh, that's so a funny. story okay. that has floated about this song for years and years and years. Right. Yeah. Um, but if you get on, it's so great because I'll put this in the show notes, but there's this like board where people there where they've just compiled all of these things people have said about, this is what I think the song is about. And they get more and more ridiculous. I mean, it's so funny because at the beginning you said like, Oh yeah, I think it's about a car accident. And it's like, that would totally fit on this thing. Right. Because people are saying, um, like for instance, uh, uh, this is from 1994. Definitely true, except the part about the spotlight. Although he was in the front row, probably looked like a spotlight was on him. Right after the show, the guy in question killed himself. <laughs> so it's like a game of it's like a game of telephone. Like people pick yeah. one little part of the lyrics, and then they start building this whole story out. Right? Yeah. Um, what I heard about the song is that it's Phil's noting that a friend watched someone drown in a lake and did not offer to help. Right? That's kind of the basic version. 
I heard that Phil Collins, when he was small, witnessed an individual drowning another individual. Apparently, that individual looked up and spotted Phil. To this day, at every concert, Phil starts out singing this song as an accusation. Uh, a friend told me at a bar last night that the inspiration for this song came from years ago when Phil's wife had been raped and Phil knew who it was. Like, again, like it's just people putting random crimes in. Much later at night, Phil is walking around a lake when he hears calls for help from the lake and some guy is drowning. Phil swims out to save the guy, but when he reaches him, he finds out that it's the rapist. And so then he lets him go and he swims back to the shore and lets him drown. Like People are like, what? Like This story just is growing and growing and growing. Um, and then there's like the version of the story I heard, this is from 1996, is Phil's wife is raped. He finds out where the rapist lives. He arranges to play a concert in the rapist's hometown. A ticket for the concert is sent to the rapist's house. Phil debuts the song at the concert. <laughs> that, one, that one doesn't include actual justice. That just includes like, hey, dude, here's some yeah. concert tickets. Yeah. That's just an amazingly bad rumor. Hey, so, and you mentioned Casey Casey's, Casey Kasem's top 40, right? That's this, right. This particular person says, I heard a similar story about 10 years ago when I was listening to Casey Kasem's top 40. So he's, he's, blaming this rumor on Casey Kasem. According to memory, Phil and a buddy were sailing and a downpour started, which caused the boat to capsize. Phil was swimming to shore with his friend and saw a guy sitting on his dock watching them. He screamed for help. Apparently the guy had a boat and everything, but the guy just sat there and watched. So Phil made it back to shore, but his friend drowned. And Phil later tracked this guy down and sent him front row tickets to a nearby concert. The guy showed up and Phil sang in the air tonight while staring at him. (laughs) (laughs) What? Like, I just love that this story, like, just is very amorphous. Like, it has, like, a couple of key elements, and then everyone just kind of throws in. I mean, there's a whole list of these. And like I said, we'll put them in the show notes. Snopes has got a great collection of them. Yeah. Um, What I heard about In the Air Tonight had to do with Phil's younger brother, who died in a boating accident. The guy was goofing off and pushed him in and denied it happened, and then the whole concert thing. Etc. Etc. I heard the story that the song in the air tonight is about a guy who had seen his wife raped and then later the, saw the same man drowning. He didn't help him. That one comes back again. My story on this song is somewhat different. <laughs> it involves yes. 1996 again. It involves Collins being the witness to a death. Someone who he was with either allowed someone to drown or out and out killed him. Collins stayed quiet for a number of years and then finally turned the killer in by inviting him to a concert and having him arrested quietly and without circumstance right after he played this song, which he dedicated to the killer. <laughs> I want to, <laughs> I want to know what this song's about. I feel like I'm going to be let down, but on yeah. the radio in the area where I, Oh, you will be. On the, on the radio in the area where I work, a song by Phil Collins was playing. One of my coworkers, who's a good Phil Collins fan, told me, as opposed to a bad Phil Collins fan, told me that his song was written by one of Phil Collins, was written when one of Phil Collins' friends drowned. She said that one of Phil Collins' friends went swimming after having too much to drink, started having problems trying to swim, and Phil Collins tried to get a bystander to help, and the bystander gave him the finger. Oh. <laughs> you would not lend a hand. <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, that's unbelievable. Um, so so that's what we're up against, right? <laughs> we're up against this story that is, I, and this is in some ways, I, I feel like I say this a lot on the show, but it's kind of the ultimate rock and roll bedtime story, right? Like, it's really out of control as a story and as a rumor. And what's really interesting about this, like, message board that's compiled here is that a lot of these stories are all people saying they heard it from some very unqualified individual. 
Like they're like, oh, I was at work and my buddy who says he likes Phil Collins told me this story. Hey, oh. I was in a store and somebody leaned, leaned over to me and said, you know what the song's about? Like, it's just been such a part of popular culture that it has made it all the way to the Tonight Show. So there is a clip of Jimmy Fallon relating this story to Phil Collins and asking him point blank oh. what, what the story is. Yeah. And and how did it go? Is this true that this is what happened? This is what I heard. You were you were on you were outside at night and there was a do- you saw somebody saw someone drowning no. and he didn't yeah and he let him uh, <laughs> drown he let him drown and you go oh, yeah. and you watched the man basically murder somebody and then so instead of calling the authorities you invited the man the stranger to your concert <laughs> and then. You shone a light on him, you yeah. showed yes, you shone a light on him, and you sang in the air and you go, I know what you did, buddy. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. That is the best story I've ever heard of. I know. Unfortunately, none of it's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? You know, I was just pissed off, you know, I was angry. Um, At what? Well, you know, you, you go through a divorce and, uh, oh. you know, yeah. sometimes, like, Please, I love you, I love you, I love you. Don't hang up, don't hang up. And then it's like, well, you. Yeah. And then, of course, that's when a song like In the Air Tonight comes out. There's obviously yeah. a lot of anger in there. That's when that drum fill comes in. We're By the time the end of the program comes, you'll be good at this. <laughs> I love this clip because Jimmy's so into asking him this. Phil's like, no, man, none of that happened. <laughs> So you could spin this as a conspiracy. You could say like, no, maybe, you know, this did happen and now Phil doesn't want any any press around it. And so he's denying it publicly. I will tell you, it has permeated pop culture to the extent that do you know what pretty famous rap song references this? Oh, when- yeah, yeah. Because he says, remember that song by Phil Collins in the air at night where he didn't save that guy's drowning or whatever? Like it's just yeah, 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 yeah. You almost just exactly nailed the line. You Are you are you a pretty big Eminem fan? No. <laughs> but I, but I, I did, I did go back and listen to Stan after I saw uh, Pete Davidson do a, a a riff on it on SNL where it was called Santa instead of Stan, and he's obsessed with Santa. You know the song by Bill Collins in the air in the night about that guy who could have saved that other guy from drowning but didn't. Then Bill saw it all. Then at his show he found him. That's kind of how this is. You could have rescued me from drowning. Now. Yeah, so that is just on my mind the last 24 hours. That's so funny. I love that. You want to talk about where Phil is now in the pop culture lexicon and what's going on with him? Well, there, there's others. Before we talk about like right now, I mean, it's like four or five years ago, he had come out and told everyone that he had, he had stopped drinking because he, I guess that he had ended up, there was, I, I read about he was in a bender, like an all day bender that started in Switzerland and he got on a plane and, and ended up in New York. And he woke up in an ICU and the doctor asked him if his will was in order. Um, so he had been like drinking himself, you know, quite, quite messy. Um, but he did get hurt. Like it was like about 10, 15 years ago or so, 2006, 2007, he got hurt on a Genesis tour. So like he hurt his back and his foot and things so he was probably always like medicating himself but what's going on with phil now i mean do you know what's going on with phil now in this 
this divorce that he's got going on now with with he's this got wife. Another, he's got another divorce. Let's back up before we talk to this current about this current divorce, and let's talk about the fax machine divorce. But let me tell you first that I do know he's not standing up when he performs now. I have right. Heard that. Yes, that's correct. His his the whole performance thing is this is yeah. the back issue, right? Yeah. I will say it, it minimized my desire to, to, to go. I'm like if, if the guy's in a chair the whole time, like how good is that going to be? But yeah, I heard, I heard it wasn't good. So, okay. So uh, let's talk about, let's talk about the fax machine divorce and then let's talk about his current divorce. Okay. What do you know about the fax machine divorce? I, I don't know anything about the fax machine divorce. I know a lot more about this current divorce. I mean, it should be noted first that, he really owes his solo career success in part to his first divorce. Okay. We let's just shout out the first divorce because that, I mean, he has said over and over the face value is entirely about his first divorce. So, I mean, I've heard that for years and he has, he has said it even recently. So that being said, the second divorce happens later. <laughs> In the 90s, his reputation really tanked the following year when the son printed an angry fax that Phil Collins had sent to his second wife, Jill Tavelman. He says it was actually written once the divorce was underway, but people assume that it was how he broke the news. The press gets a hold of this letter and, and it's painted as, OK, this is Phil saying he wants a divorce. He claims that they were already getting a divorce and this was just a nasty thing that he faxed her. I got to say, though, I understand it's the 90s, but why fax that? That doesn't seem wise. No, no. I, I think that he might have been um he might have been making some bad decisions with his bad decision bears. I think so. <laughs> Nobody should be doing that, man. Um well, you know, and then this is when both sides comes out, right? And so it kind of paints for his mostly female fan base, it really paints the uh, a perception that is not great for album sales. Um, uh, because he's had this affair that he's admitted to and he's ruined his second marriage and yada, yada, yada. So tell me about the most recent divorce. Oh man. Um, there, there's stuff and I, and I do have the most recent things, but I'm, I'm a little spotty on it because it's, I mean, it's pretty new. Um, so, okay. So Phil used to be married to his most recent ex-wife back in the late nineties and her name was Orianne uh, Seavey, I think is her last name. It's Orianne is her name. So they met when she was 21 in 1994 and she was his interpreter and they had two teenage kids together and then they got a divorce and he paid her $46.6 million in the divorce settlement, which was the biggest British legal uh, the British, the biggest in British legal history at that time, right? Lord, now I believe that this would be the woman who he was probably having an affair with when the second marriage collapsed. So this I, is the I, both both sides of the story, woman. Anyway, go ahead. And and man, it gets weirder. So she divorced her second husband in 2016, and then shacked back up with uh with Phil Collins. So that was like 2016. How? Ever, uh, things have now gone really bad. So, so what happened is he asked her to move out of the house, and this was November ish, 
Um, and she didn't, he like gave her a deadline and she didn't meet it. And so instead she just changed all the locks and all the security codes and locked him out of his own house. And she's already shacked up with another dude. And so he's apparently really, you know, he's angry. So he's showing up and, and being very unruly and rude to everybody trying to get in his house. So he was going to file an eviction lawsuit against her, but I don't know where any of that has has gone but she's planning on marrying a 31 year old businessman named thomas bates <laughs> that was that wow. was good for him actually actually she she already did um that happened while she told phil phil that she was going on a business trip but actually she went and got married to a guy uh oh while God. she on the business trip also she has recently said that the reason that they really were on their officials split. They had been, um, she like, was that he was gross. Was that he had been sitting around, not brushing his teeth or taking a shower for like a year. What? <laughs> That's really the way to take a, take a, 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 I wouldn't say a sex symbol, but, but a real rock and roll every man. That's a real way to tank him. Though I guess maybe, you know, maybe it makes him more relatable to a certain uh, segment of the fan base. So like, yeah, man, Phil Collins can not shower for a year. I'm in. Quote, quote um, the, the stench became so pervasive that he became a hermit refusing to interact personally with any people. Wow. Dude. All right. Whoa. Um, listen, I do think I need, we need to caution our listeners. Like it's, it's important to not take things at face value. And you should always hear both sides. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, and if if you're, yeah. if you're hot and sweaty and you should be taking a shower, then I would say that there's no jacket required. You don't have to be wearing that jacket. <laughs> <laughs> the so thing dumb. that I think... Oh, I'm so dumb. That guy that thinks we're idiots, he's right. <clears throat> he is. The thing that's a drag, too, for Phil Collins right here is that he's not in control of his narrative. And he's not in control of... He tried to he tried to get a divorce and and kick his ex wife out of the house and she's taking it over, so, oops, yeah, man. Um, I don't know where it go. Like I was really embarrassed for him several years ago. He was on the I think it was the Jonathan Ross show. It's a BBC show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they they had him on. And there is a comedian on there playing drum fills. So, John, if you put the headphones on, we're going okay. to play John. We're going to tell him what the track is and give him a guide. And he's going to play a very famous drum fill, I think they're called. And then, guys, you can tell me whether you can recognise the track and the yeah. artist, OK? okay. Oh. okay. John, lovely. Don't get carried away. Sorry. It's not a gig. Okay. So was that Phil or not Phil? It wasn't me. No. It uh, wasn't a Queen thing or something. No. I, th I thought it was like We Will Rock You, but a bit faster. No, no. Here, let's hear it. This is the, this is the actual track, and you'll hear you did a good job. Uh... So... I will say, it's always bad, having had a broadcast career, when you have a celebrity, you're trying to do a bit with a celebrity, and they just do not play along. It's real bad. <laughs> or they just can't play along. <laughs> Very yeah. embarrassing for everyone involved. Um... 
holy cow, man. I think we excavated some things about Phil Collins. Um, again, if you want to send us some mail, I know there's Phil Collins fans out there who have some things they want to add to this. Uh, we are the story guys at gmail.com. Hit us up. We will do that. Also, make sure you're checking out our other show, Story Guys, and getting involved with all the stuff that we're doing because pretty soon we need to be putting up our year-end list. It's almost the end of this godforsaken year 2020. Uh, yeah. There have been some decent art, some decent movies, some books, some music. We'll probably be talking about that on our site. So check all that out at wearethestoryguys.com. And in the meantime, what do people need to keep doing, Mark? Keep telling stories. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright 2020 Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.